All right, guys, I'm very excited today to bring you this version of our Sunday coffee chat. I'm going to let it speak for itself. Uh, I think this was one of probably the deepest and best conversations that I have had on the podcast. I think that you guys will really, really enjoy it. And I know that a lot of you guys are always very interested to see um, some of the future and forward thinking, some of our you know new, young, up and coming trainers. I'm going to be doing some more podcasts with our coaches and people who are going to be you know, the future leaders of the health and fitness industry and give you guys some insight into what that's actually going to look like too. We dive into a lot of different things today. I think you guys will really enjoy it. And so without further ado, here we go. Welcome to the Friendship Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Binnick. And today we're going to be talking about all things fitness, wellness, and mindset so that you can be the best version of yourself for everybody and your family and life that loves you and needs you. All right, guys, what is going on? We've got our Sunday coffee chat, although it's a Friday afternoon. What are you drinking there? This is um, recovery, and then I have um, Alpha Brain. Okay. You know, All right. From uh, On It. Yeah. 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 They're your guys, right? On It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so we're here today with Ben. How do you say your last name, Ben? Mood Zinganyama. Mood Zinganyama. Mm-hmm. Nice. Did I nail that? Yeah, you did. Okay. All right, cool. I'm always working on, on my like exact enunciation time. Right. So, um, Nice. Awesome. And, uh, so Ben, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about your background, uh, how we got to know each other, who you are to friendship, all that stuff. Okay. All right. That's a big story. So yeah. Ben, you can call me Ben or Tendakai. Okay. Actually, yeah, let's go with Tendakai. Ten, Tenaka? Tendakai. Tendakai. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's actually the first name. Ben okay. is the middle name. Oh, nice. Sweet. Cause it's easier to pronounce. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So how do we get to know each other? So Gerald and Amanda. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I used to date their daughter, mm-hmm. uh, Graceland. And so it was last year in the wintertime. Yeah. Come around Christmas, she was back for winter break, and I was over at their house, and they mentioned you. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, I got a podcast that I do and record. And they're like, Jeff, the owner of this uh, Friendship Fitness, he does podcasts, and he'll, he's just wise. He got a lot of going on in his head. Like, for sure, I was like, that sounds like me. So then the gym I was at, I was like, it's time to get out. Like I told you when we first met, yeah. it was just time to get out of the gym and just look for a different opportunity. Yep. So now I emailed you a couple of times and then we got to sit down. And then from there, we're here now. Yeah. So it's been dope. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, so you were working at a gym, so you're a trainer, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Tilt that down just a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, there you there go. go. Yeah, good. Nice. We're going to get it. I want to make sure I want to make sure your voice sounds, sounds like good. soothing. Right. Like, that's what, that's what <laughs> people like to listen to us at different times. So we want to make sure we're soothing because uh, we got people listening to us on the beach right now. Okay. And they're like, you know, listen to the to the baritones. There you and, go. <laughs> so. Um, all right. So so you were training out of the gym. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, tell us a little bit about your training style because it's a little different. Yeah. Right. Um, a little bit unique. And tell us a little bit about. um you know, who, kind of who your clients are, what lights you up from a training perspective as a coach. Okay, so with that question, we were trying to go with, as in the coaching aspect or the like the training mythology. Which which one? We'll you get into training in a little bit. On. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so just yeah, just the coaching aspect. Okay. You know? Yep. Actually, man, to be honest with you, this actually evolved more this past week. It's actually caused me to lose sleep this whole week. Like I have not slept since Sunday. Sunday night. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Last night was the first time I got sleep. Yeah. Uh, not even like anything anxious or bad. Just it's just doing. excitement. Yeah. Yeah. So 
And I was actually talking to Ryan at uh, Lewis Center yep. about this, and it came upon me called the sporting culture, mm-hmm. right? And so what the sporting culture is and what I really decided to commit to was bridging the gap and the relationship between life and sport. You know, you know yep. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I look at all my coaching. I look at everybody as an athlete, whether you play a sport or not, because I do love training athletes, but at the same time, that's not who I just want to work with all the time. Right. But if you're a non-athlete, I'm still going to treat you as one because the sport that you're playing is life. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And you got to prepare for those events in life and in a controlled setting, which is the weight room, right? right. Just making yourself bigger, stronger, wiser, mentally tougher. Yep. And that's the mental part right. is what I started to hone in and committed to last week. Yep. Right. Because before that, it was like, all right, we're going to focus on becoming good at coaching. And then those conversations that kind of happen on the side will just happen casually, right? Those conversations that bridge the gap between people being at this certain level and then becoming at a better level for themselves and working through the mental stuff. Right. So let's separate that a little bit because what Mm -hmm. you're talking about being good at coaching, we're talking X's and O's. We're talking about physiology. We're Mm -hmm. talking about movement, you know, sets and reps, programming, things along those lines. Right. right? And you're talking about the bridging the gap between a coaching and much more of the, the relationship the mental aspect exactly. some of those extra factors exactly. that um, really create and drive mm-hmm. you know tangible change yeah yeah so backstory real quick yep the other gym that was at Eric Sutliff I don't know if you know mm-hmm. Eric is yeah I do yeah so when I first started working it was like listen you know, I know you want to tr- coach and whatnot, but sometimes you're going to be a physical therapist. Sometimes you're going to be not a physical therapist, a therapist just yep. in general. Yep. Um, sometimes you're going to be a best friend. Yep. Uh, sometimes you're not going to coach. You're just going to sit down and have a conversation. Yep. And then at first I was like, you know what? That was my idea at first, but I thought maybe there has to be a limit. But when he said that, I was like, it's okay to have those situations where someone comes in, you're like, you know, how, how are you doing today? Right. And you clearly can see that. Yeah. It's not, it's not okay. Yep. Right. And then that gave me that green light to sometimes it's okay not to lift weights. Yeah. Let's just, let's just talk. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the thing too. What you realize is you can set the tone and get them steered back in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I always use, I use this analogy all the time for our coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, I always imagine, you know, clients walk in different stages of life, but a lot of clients will walk in and, you know, I always imagine like now to the end of your life is like, you're, you're in the middle of this. You're like walking into a mall for the first time and you're blindfolded and we're saying, Hey, I got to get you to like the other side of the mall. I got to yeah. get you to the gap, but you're blindfolded yeah, and you're just walking around aimlessly. And sometimes you're going to get people, they're going to get turned around. They're going to be going the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Something's going to distract them, a noise, a sound, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And our job is we can see and all we can do is just help shift their shoulders the right way and just whisper in their ear and say, just keep going forward. Right. You're good. And so I always think, you know, all along those lines, if you were just to map out people's journey is like they're focused for a little bit, they're focused for a little bit, something comes up and they veer off. Right. Right. And and so I always look at that as like, that's really the role of, of coaching. The mm-hmm. more touch points that you have, the more frequently you're whispering in somebody's ear, the more on path they're going to stay. Yeah. And the more time that goes between anybody whispering in their ear, the more walking in circles there, the more lost they become. There we go. And so when you start thinking about that, that's that, that's the thing that you're talking about. There's basically, you know, 
sometimes it's going to be real direct. It's yeah. going to say, you know, walk in this direction and walk straight forward. Other times it's going to be, you know, hey, we're coming up on, you know, a body of water. You're going to get wet. Right. You know, things are going to be tough. This is going to be harder, right? Um, somebody's about to attach a weight to you. It's going to be, stuff's going to be tough for a mm-hmm. second. And I need you to mentally prepare for that. I need you to get back in the right, you know, frame of mind. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, coaching always takes different aspects of that. But I think that analogy is helpful because it, you realize that the journey is never really going to be done. No. Your coaching aspect is always going to take different forms, different directions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's what you're there for. Exactly. So. So, yeah. So, so going off that, you know, I feel like we're going into an era, right, of and what I was saying last time we met was because of social media. Right. Yep. And I feel like because of social media when social media first came on the scene and like first Facebook, especially Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. People didn't pay attention to what a fake account was. Right. People just took it for what it was. Yep. And I think more and more people are looking for what's real and authentic. Yeah. And that's spilling over into everything that we do. Right. You want fresher ingredients as far as food, yep. what's real. And like I alluded to last time, I see an era where athletes and just people in general um, because of that desire to be transparent and authentic yep. we're going to start to be looking for, for as far as athletes athletes a sports psychologist right. when not when something's wrong yep. but when you just want to get better right. because people are just going to admit that your mental health is definitely something to improve on and work on and not just tough it up and just keep going and don't hide your emotions right. especially for men yeah. you know what I mean yep. and so th- Going back to the sporting culture, my huge obsession now is looking at professional athletes, right? And seeing the methods they use in tight situations and events to get themselves right. Um, And then using similar methods like that for people with events in their lives, like having a tough conversation. Maybe you just became a father or a mother. Um, Those tough things. Using the weight room as a way to cultivate a tougher mentality yep. not even I don't even want to call it a tougher mentality because I feel like t- mental toughness sometimes right now yep. still has that machismo-ish yeah, right. connotation to mm-hmm. it but it really doesn't even mean like tough like that it means yeah I would say uh, probably the best way to put that would be um, you're facing challenges and learning how to overcome them mm-hmm. and you're facing adversity even if it's a small level of adversity Yeah, and so you're training I would say like resiliency exactly Yeah, perfect word yep. resilience right Right, where your ability, which I was reading, called cognitive inhibition. Yeah. Um, which okay, so new story. Hold yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm gonna try to circle you all back. Uh, so you're good. You're good. So with the cognitive inhibition, and this is, I guess, this is where we bring mental toughness to full circle with you saying resilience, right? Yep. The the ability to block out thoughts that are irrelevant to the task at hand. Right. Right. So. Let's say, let's go for an athlete first. If you are to play a game or you have um, free throws that you're about to make, yep, yep, and it's a tough, it's it's, it's a close game. Mm-hmm. Irrelevant thoughts would be, can I make these free throws? Right, right, because your chances of making them will dwindle the moment you have doubt. Yep. Now let's take it to uh, a normal person, so not an athlete. Let's say you're a guy and you're about to talk to a girl. Yep. Right, and you're start overthinking like, yeah. do I look okay? Am I saying something? You know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. You're gonna fumble. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Those are relevant thoughts. Just go in and speak with confidence. Right. That's relevant. Right. So I was studying and I found out that 
people that had an ability to block out relevant thoughts had a larger gray matter. Right. And meditation increases gray matter yeah. in the mind. Yep. Um, so that, I've been actually teaching some of my athletes practice of meditation and reflection and then uh, visualization yeah. to help them block out irrelevant thoughts. Yeah. And then this spills over to non-athletes. Let's say you're going to have an interview. Again, things like mindfulness, meditation, and just breathing and being in the moment takes out those irrelevant thoughts. Right. And then that's where sporting culture comes in. We took a sporting discipline and then transferred it to real life. Now you have a job, you're hired, or you have a girlfriend, now you're about to get married soon. Yeah. Now we're performing high. Well, and it's easy practice. You know, mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, I think visualization is a great aspect of, you know, you take something like a job interview. Mm -hmm. One of the, I can't remember if it's Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Steve Jobs, one of those, one of those three, right? You read a lot of stuff. There's a lot of similarities between yeah. those guys. But one of the things they talked about is, um, how there's a lot of studies on really high level strategic thinkers, mm -hmm. people who are constantly paying attention to not just one step, but five steps and 10 steps forward. So these are great chess players, great, you know, bridge players, mm -hmm. um, and you know, great, just general strategists in business and other things. Mm -hmm. And what they talk about is that power of that visualization mm -hmm. and how these guys use something like bridge or like a, like a small game to, practice that forward thinking strategic thinking mm -hmm. um and visualizing for the future and they the thing that always stuck with me is they talked about how if they're going into a big deal or they're going into a big conversation they're going into a job interview they've played that conversation through 30 times 40 times 50 times mm -hmm. okay what if they ask me this where do i want to take it what if they ask me that where do i want to take it and they visualize in every aspect before they go into any major decision mm -hmm. and they've already thought through what a good choice would be when they're void of the emotion of the the environment yeah right mm -hmm. and the emotion of the environment whether you're going to go talk to a girl or go to a job interview or shoot the free throws yeah. the emotion of the environment is where you can get caught up right you right. can get caught up with the crowd or the score or the cheerleaders or whatever mm -hmm. right with all the other factors that come into it but if in practice, if in training, if in your day-to-day -day life, you're doing something like going to the gym and practicing visualization on small levels every day yeah. and then going you know, home and practicing visualization for other things and practicing meditation and meditating on some of these things, then when you get into the emotional atmosphere, mm -hmm. you're prepared for it. Right. You've already been there. Mm -hmm. You've been there in your head. And so I know this is a huge thing with sports psychology is, right. is the visualization component of it. But I like the fact that you're trying to take that into, you know, how can we get some of these athletes that I'm training, how can we get them in a day-to-day -day practice of yeah. accomplishing these things? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really cool. Right. But so for you, you mentioned Bill Gates mm -hmm. and those and those people, right? <clears throat> I think what I've noticed is some people are like, okay, you mentioned these guys and these guys. Mm -hmm. I've not met somebody that I know personally practicing that yeah i feel like sometimes individuals put the bill gates the lebron james on this pedestal as if like they're not human right right um so how do you bridge that gap for people to see them as humans and see them just practicing things that you can practice as well right yeah you know i don't know if you i don't know if you'd say that i think people maybe have a hard time um visualizing it. So I talk a lot about meditation. I talk a lot about what it is to me and mm -hmm. how I feel. So here's Charlotte's, <laughs> Charlotte's going after him now. Um, and so, 
you know, that, that visualization component of it for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's something when I look back at, you know, and I was competing in CrossFit or regionals or a weightlifting competition or something along those mm-hmm. lines, that would be, you know, those, those night befores when you're not sleeping great before the right. big game, at least for me, what I was doing was I was visualizing, right? Mm-hmm. You're going through scenarios, you're going through, you know, the workouts, you're going through the lifts, you're going through your cues in your head. Um, you're playing through the what ifs, you know, you're going through some of those things, but in that process, you are visualizing, meditating in some capacity. Yeah. And so for some people, I think it's just proving to them that you've already done this in some way, so somewhere in your life, you've already engaged with this. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. we just need to maybe, you know, keep learning about each other more mm-hmm. to think about, you know, tell me the last time you couldn't sleep. What were you thinking about? Right. Right. And well, you know, I was just going through my, you know, my kids were out and they were partying and, you know, it was like their first time out with the car and I just couldn't sleep. Cause, and I was like, cause why? And they're like, cause I was just thinking about like, well, what if you got in a car? Wreck? What, what if he did this? And what this? if this was yeah. this? And I'm like, yeah. And when, when you're doing that, you're visualizing the scenarios. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're playing, what you're doing there is you're playing through how would you emotionally feel if this, if happen. these things happened? Right. And what that does then is that prepares us better. That's, that's human nature. That's yeah. that prepares us for those future events. So we can, you know, realize, okay, we are afraid of that. We don't mm-hmm. want that emotion. So we're going to try to protect and we're going to try to avoid, or we're going to, you know, given that scenario, obviously right. we don't want our kids to get into a car wreck when they yeah. have the car. And so we're going to go through and then we try to control, right? We try mm-hmm. to, and so the, the, you know, proper visualization for that is, um, you know, I've put my kids, my kids are good kids. They've got a good head about their shoulders. I've, mm-hmm. you know, they know how to drive. They're safe. They're smart. They know they can call me. There's almost nothing else that I have control over in this scenario right now. Mm-hmm. Like you said, my controllables are, are basically gone at this point. So all I can do is just sort of get to that point where I realize that the work has been put in sort of, as they say, the hay is in the barn. Mm -hmm. Right. And now I've just got to wait and see what the outcome is. And then from the outcome, then I have future visualizations and I have other aspects that are going to come. So now maybe (laughs) I come home, I ask my son, how'd it go tonight? It was like, everything okay. Is the car okay? And they're like, yeah, Yeah. everything is fine. (laughs) fine, And you're like, Oh, okay. And then, then you can ask more questions and you can be like, you know, Hey, I, I was really nervous about, you know, this and this, you know, that you can call me if, if you're ever at a party and there's drinking going on and anything like that, like I'll always come and pick you up. You know, you never need to feel like you're stressed about drinking, driving, you have these conversations with them. Now you're more prepared again. And now you're going to feel more comfortable if you know, they're going out to this party tonight Mm -hmm. they're going out and doing these things. We've at least had the conversation. I've done what I can to control the situation. Everything else is out of my hands. Um, and so I think those small visualizations are stuff that people do every day, Yeah. but now it's just consciously doing them. Mm -hmm. Right. So now I don't want you to just only do them when you're fearful. Right. I yeah, only want you to do it when you're yeah. afraid. Yeah. I want you to do it for good stuff too. Right. I want you to visualize what if you make the free throws? What if you win the game? What if you do these things? Like visualize the good stuff that can happen to you. Mm-hmm. You know, what if, what if your son, you know, takes his friends and doesn't let them drive drunk and he's sober and he's the DD that night and he gets them home safely. Right. You know, what if those good things do and happen. do that stuff with a conscious thought. Right. And I think that's where we can use training from that. And I try to tell our athletes this all the time and you know i think you're you look good on this movement you're solid trust yourself why don't you put a little more weight on 
they're just like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, and they're like, well, you know, I could, I could fail. I could hurt myself. I could do this. I go, or you could nail a gorgeous lift yeah. and feel really good about yourself and right. feel accomplished with all the hard work that you've put in over these past few years. And I'm telling you as your coach, I'm sitting here, I'm watching you. I'm telling you, you are safe and you are strong. And I believe that you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't tell you to do that otherwise. Right. And you know, I wouldn't tell you to do that otherwise because I've told you a million times not to do it. But today I'm telling you that I think you should. And that's the thing is we have to start, you know, working with those athletes and to just reframe the what if the positive thing. Does that make sense? Yes. That's hard, but that's where you can use, that's where I think from a training aspect, I think that's where there's so much value. Right. And just the day to day, you know, whether it be weightlifting or some other form of physical, physical exertion that's challenging. Sled mm-hmm. pushes are great, obviously. Um, <laughs> and you just like watch people and you're just like, all I got to do is just put this plate on. They're going to be like, oh man, I can't do that. Come on. It's just like, right. you know how you can do it? Just one foot in front of the other right. until, you, until you get to where you're going. Yeah. And it's like, you're not going to fail a sled push right now. No. Not this way. So, um, so yeah, I like it. Um, all right. So you read a lot, right? Yes. What are you reading right now? Or what do you, I know, so you're getting into, um, what is it? It's sport. What's the, what's the second portion? Sporting culture. Sporting culture. Sporting yeah, culture. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Is, is that a book or is that? No, a, it's, just okay. some, yeah, it's just something I made up okay, uh, cool. a couple of days ago. Sporting like culture. It. And I looked it up and it doesn't really exist as something. Uh, do you own sportingculture.com? Or? I'm going to, do you, is there one? I don't know. You got to look it up. No, no, I looked it up. There was nothing. So we bought the trademark that so you go. sporting that's culture. What, that's what you got to do. Got to do it. Say, we, you got to do it before I put this podcast out. <laughs> Someone <laughs> takes it. You got, you got those people. Uh, <laughs> I own a lot of dot coms and that's just like, you have an idea, you buy a dot com. Yeah. So, yeah. but now there's everything. I was like dot IOs and all that other stuff. Right. So you can get whatever you want. So we'll get it. All right. right. So sporting culture. So what are you reading? That's, that's driving that ball forward now. So I'm reading this book called Intro to Sports Psychology. Okay. Um, I forget the author of the book, but he wrote it in 1999 and it's just revised in 2015. Okay. So that's definitely sparked, got me going a little bit. Nice. Um, the book, Three Magic Words. Okay. So this book goes hand in hand with what you just got off saying. Yeah. And we all visualize, we all do some form of visualization. In the book, this is a book that was written um, by a guy named Stan, I forget his last name. He played football at Stanford in nineteen in the nineteen forties. Wrote this book in nineteen fifty. Okay. It's an old book. Okay, and he says that we all pray every day, but yeah. the praying is not talking about religious manner. He's right. talking about the visualization, which yeah, you just right. said. Yeah. yeah, the thing is, it's usually negative. Yeah, right. So I guess what I'm getting hip to now is we have to, as coaches or people in this position, influence and open the mind up to positive visualization all the time. Yeah majority of the time because what he then says in his book is now I don't know how far we're going to get into this like this but that the more you visualize whatever you visualize you usually attract into your life whether you know if you believe in that um, manifestation real manifestation and that it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad Um, and the problem is individuals manifest without um, knowing it unconsciously manifest during um, negative situations. Right. And the book says that we then blame it on something else, but we attract that um, kind of physical reality that is in front of us. Right, yeah. And then it goes on, on educating people on how to dismiss your physical reality and focus what you want next, right? So let's say um, you failed to lift. 
instead of that being the end all like um, I'm a failure this is it um, take yourself out of that moment yep. and then visualize a situation where you do make the lift right and I guess you know what I mean so yep well and then you have to think about visualize the situation where you do make the lift mm-hmm. what things have to happen from now till that moment yeah for me to do that yeah right what person yeah. do I have to become what things do I have to do right and I can play through the scenarios you know maybe last night you didn't eat perfectly maybe it's, <laughs> maybe yeah. I've been hydrating this week all these right. other things and then in that nature when you do that you gain control right? right as soon as you recognize that you are complicit so let's say you're manifesting negative thoughts so the, the, you can just we can just keep using that same analogy let's say there's a teenager driving we're usually utilizing that analogy right the, mm-hmm. the sport ones are relatively easy but let's take one that's we're hard. talking about teenager just got the license and yeah parents right. at going home out for a party right. first night they got the car mm-hmm. um and here's how you can manifest things negatively. You're thinking on it, you're stewing on it. You know, mom's just sitting home and then all of a sudden, you know, what's she doing? She's texting the kid all night. Like, are you, what are you doing? Are you safe? And, and all of a sudden you become complicit in creating stress around driving. You know, you create stress in your relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now, whereas they might've felt comfortable and confident to call you when Mm. they were out drinking, when they were doing these things, now they feel this, like, you know, this, this lordship, this fear, Mm -hmm. um, around, you know making those kind of manifestations come true in your head making those fears come true in mom's head I know my mom's super worried about that so I'd rather just not not put her through that right right? so I'm just gonna avoid hide and the relationship loses something because of that and so in that way then you know it's really easy for the parents to say oh you know the teenager the teenager you know you know (laughs) know, it's like Jeff was doing this and Jeff was doing that and Jeff 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 and my teenager's just a little shit and he's blah 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 um and put it all on them without taking that step back to say, how was right. I maybe complicit in this? And so this is the conversation I actually had over breakfast this morning and something Maria and I talk about all the time is mm-hmm. any issues we've got, we were complicit in it in some way and we have to search with each other Yeah, to say, this is how I was complicit. Mm-hmm. And hopefully let the other person come to a place where, you know, they realize how they're complicit. Right. And if you can get to that point, it gives you control, gives you ownership over your own being. Right. And I liked what you said. If you can separate yourself from, you know, your, your, your physical reality. Yeah. And I think social media makes that challenging for people. I think there's all <laughs> kinds of just the speed of the environment we live right. in today makes that challenging for people. Um, but if you get into that way, then you have the freedom to start to manifest yourself positively mm-hmm. and remove yourself from the reactionary period just that we live in from yeah. day to day to day. And I think that's the that's the goal I think for everybody because the faster you can do that and the Mm -hmm. better you get at it the more you're going to be in those positive manifestations and those those you know, positive mind spaces and positivity is going to lead you to make more lifts. You know, think, you know, confidence is such a huge component of huge. all of this. Right. And so if you have positive manifestations of yourself, of course I'm going to make this lift. Right. Like, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going doing a workout tomorrow and a bunch of people are chirping me about it. Right. Like was, <laughs> we got some young guns and they're, they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Jeff's going to throw down tomorrow. Like I'm going to go and I'm going to go after him. And, um, and so a bunch of people were like, like, how you feel, Jeff? You feel confident? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good, man. Okay, like I'll, yeah. I, can, I can turn it on when I need to turn it on. Mm-hmm. And you have that. It's like, even if, if you don't, whatever, like it is what it is. And I just, you brush it off, you move on. Right. But it's one of those things where if, if you go into it, that relaxation, that confidence, yeah. um, and 
you you feel good going into it, mm-hmm. then you're not going to clinch up. Yeah. And we know that athletes have that reaction to things where there's stress, where there's pressure, where there's negative manifestation thoughts. They they clinch, they tighten up, um, and then that leads to all kinds of bad things. Yeah. Um, so leads to emotional breakdowns inside of you know you're missing free throws that you get 90 percent free throw shooters and all of a sudden they're you know breaking two in crunch time yeah and you're just like man they never miss free throws like what the hell's going right, on it's just right. the emotional reaction to that thing yeah so yeah i think that's huge and i think the i think you're you're seeing now and i'm sure you're probably more familiar with this than i am but it's probably a lot of the f- athletes that you're going to be studying that are actively working on this stuff day in day out mm-hmm. yeah they are so to support what you said too about the positive and then thinking positive yep. um, this book by David R. Hawkins is called Power Versus Force yeah. and he is a scientific researcher right and uh, he uh, no actually no he's not a researcher he's actually I forget anyway he created this uh, mathematical equation that tests um, muscle strength yeah with your positive or negative thinking. So basically, in short, people that tend to think negative tend to be weaker, as in like muscle strength-wise. And then positively, you become stronger. Hmm. So if you were to attempt to lift, so I asked people this. So I had this uh, athlete that I was working with, and it was the last few sets that she had, and it was starting to get heavy. And I asked her, like, what are you thinking when it starts to get heavy? And it wasn't positive. I said, hey, when it gets heavy, get excited. Like, get it fired up when it starts to get heavy. And I changed it all because she started to get having a positive a mindset towards that resistance that's heavier as the sets went on. Yeah. Um, and it completely changed. So, I mean, there goes, there goes, there goes that as far as like scientifically proven that right. if you think positive you right. will legitimately become stronger yeah. like instantly yeah it freaks people out <laughs> when uh, when I bench press I, I, I will almost never ever 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 ask for a spotter okay and that's why because in my head yeah, it's always it's, it's always I'm not gonna fail you can't it's fine I'm good yeah and there's only been like one time ever where I actually got you actually get like pinned by the bar mm-hmm. and you know you actually hit a true failure um, you know I know how to get out of that and so it's not like one of those weird things where you see people that like, <laughs> like sit there and are like freaked yeah, out yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know you get that and I think sometimes that like that you know Maria will be coaching me for bench press or something like that mm-hmm. um, so sometimes just to make her like feel better because she'll she just it's like gets all like oh my gosh what if you fail what if is this this is and I'm like all right Maria stand behind me <laughs> like, I'm like a stand best I'm like stand yeah. back here um, and you know she like walks up I'm like no just stay back like you don't do anything mm-hmm. you know you're just there for whatever you're there for support I'm not looking at you as somebody who's like right on the bar and so I always try to tell people that when I'm spotting or when they ask me to spot is I'm not going to do anything. This lift is all you. You've mm-hmm. got this, right? I'm going to step in when it becomes unsafe, if it becomes unsafe at all. That's the only thing I'm here for. And you have that conversation, but that just in their mind, like if you're in that position, if you're bench pressing, it's just like, hey, come spot me. And they want you like right on right, the Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a safety net. Right. Immediate. It's, you naturally, I've never watched somebody go through a really, really good bench press where somebody's like fingers are in the bar. Somebody's like ready to grab it in right. any moment. So, you know, I always, I always think about that, um, you know, and that's a, that's a small example of it, yeah. but I think that's those little components all the time. Um, you know, I've had this conversation with multiple people today. I don't remember if it was you and me talking, but 
I was listening to something recently they were talking about sprinters and relaxation, relaxation, their upper body. Yeah. And they were talking about how, um, you know, they, these guys, they studied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sprinters. And mm-hmm. what they were doing was a rolling start into a 60 meter. Mm-hmm. And they were telling the athletes, I want you to go at 70%. I want you to go at 75%. I want you to go to 80%. Um, and they were just marking their times. And these were like separate days. Everything was like independent and they'd do the same warm up. and they'd say, okay, today we're going to do three at 80%, three at 85%, three at 90%. And what they found is athletes did the best between 85 and 90 percent okay and their times consistently over the intervals were the best between 85 and 90 percent and when they watched the slow motion videos when they watched the film what they found was that when they went north of 90 percent, when they went to 95 percent, somewhere about halfway 30 meters in they start to clench their face mm-hmm. they grit their teeth yeah. they, their arms and their muscles and they'd be you know just clenching their fists everything would tighten up Mm-hmm. and their stride would tighten up, right? And so they'd get up to whatever full speed was, and then they wouldn't be able to sustain that all the way through the full 60. And But at 85, 90, calm, relaxed face, yeah. calm, relaxed posture, their mechanics were still operating at their true functional capacity, and there was no breakdown for the whole 60. And so they started studying Usain Bolt under the same thing. Mm-hmm. And have you ever seen those, uh, the rabbit videos yeah. where Usain Bolt's going from the side and all of a sudden everyone's together, together, together. And, and then all of a sudden it looks like the whole like crowd falls backwards and Usain Bolt <laughs> just, just like separates going. and it's like, holy yeah. crap. And what they say is at that moment, if you were to freeze frame, like right when that happens and you just stop and look at all the other non Usain Bolt sprinters right around 60 meters, every single one of them Clinches. is, is like their neck muscles. You can see uh, like the scalings, like grinding in their neck muscles. Cause they're clinching and driving so hard with their upper bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Usain Bolt has his hands like down to his side and he's like starting to celebrate to the crowd and he's smiling. He's totally relaxed up top. Yeah. And so you're talking about how he's able to really tap into this capacity. And obviously Usain's bolts is a lot of sprinters are extremely confident individuals. Right. Um, but I, I always found that component to be in that position where if you're positive mm-hmm. and confident, mm-hmm. you are generally more relaxed, right? And you're able to let your body do what it can do, void of a lot of that tension and pressure, pressure and stress and yeah. some of those things. And so I think it, um, you know, just in that capacity of if you show up on game day with positivity and good manifestations and some of those things, you're naturally going to have a more relaxed posture. You're not going to have the butterflies in your stomach. You're not mm-hmm. going to have some of those things, um, that we've all probably experienced in some right. capacity or another. And I think those are, um, integral to really achieving, you know, we're probably talking about a higher level of performance here. Yeah. yeah it's probably only applicable if you're able to really sprint, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> like if you, you can't sprint yet or if you can't run or stride, like we're probably not, what are we talking right. about? Right. Um, but to really tap into some of those higher levels of performance, I think you're absolutely, Hey, you know, it's just, you, you have to get into this stuff. So right. I think they're just, you're never, you're going to be leaving too much on the table if you're not. So what are practices for you that, what do you do to increase your confidence? Yeah, so the some of the biggest things that I try to do from a confidence perspective, and just like anybody, I mean, I real, you know, pe- people in and around me, um, you know, have doubts. The imposter syndrome, if you ever look into it, is really fascinating mm-hmm. to understand that, like, 
Yeah, every like the brightest people in the world have all experienced imposter syndrome. Um, So, you know, I always, you know, the things that give me confidence more than anything is, you know, I understand and I believe that at any given moment, you know, I'm I'm doing my absolute best given the information I had. Now, what you'll find and what everybody finds is you probably already look at when you were training people last year and think what. I, what was you, I doing? I was, <laughs> what were you guys paying? I, was, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't doing enough. Yeah, right, like I, yeah. I have all this. I have all this new information. I have all this knowledge right. that's so usable to people. Um, and you have to really release yourself of that really quickly and just realize at the time, given the person who I was and the information that I had, I was doing the absolute best I could. I was uh-huh. giving everybody what I could, okay. just as you are now. And then 10 years from now, you'll know a whole you know, billion things more. Mm -hmm. And this is the whole idea of growth and evolution. And I think that's the, that's the concept that gives me more confidence than anything is I don't want to be, you're you're never a finished product and nor do I want to be right now. But given the amount of time and focus that I've been able to put towards things over the last 10 years, 15 Mm -hmm. years, um, I'm, I'm the best version sitting here that I think I could be. I don't have regrets. I don't look back and think, oh man, I really screwed around and wasted a lot of time doing this and that, this and that. Because it was all sort of a part of the journey of my Mm -hmm. own growth. And so at any given moment, if I feel like I'm, let's say I'm doing something where I, I wouldn't have comment. Let's say I'm like dancing, not a dancer. Right. And let's say I'm out dancing and I'm out in like in public mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh man. And I look like scared and not confident. Well, I haven't done anything to earn the confidence in that world. And so I would have a, a firm belief right away where it's, this isn't something that I should be confident. In. I should be bad at this. Like that's the whole point. Okay. And what an opportunity for me to be so bad at something mm-hmm. where anything that I do, any time, any moment that I put forward of any work mm-hmm. on this in the future, I'll be thousands of percent better, right? Like mm-hmm. I can get better at anything I want to get at because I know the the secret formula, quote unquote, to success is just understanding that growth time and effort is going to get you that 1% better. And then it's just time. It's just compounding effect. Yeah. So, those are the things then you just have to pick and choose. What are the things that I want to be confident in? You know, and this is how I look at my passions, my visions, what drives my own education or development is what's something where I like sit in a room and I feel like I shouldn't be in this room. Like, I don't feel confident to be here right now. Like Mm -hmm. these people are whatever. They're smarter than me at this. I don't like the, you know, I don't like the way I feel. Like, I don't feel like I belong here, whatever. And if I go home and I think about that and I meditate on it and I think, and I'm I'm like, but I want to be able to sit at that table. I want to be able to have that information. I want to be confident in that, in that room. Um, then it's like, okay, what do I, what does that look like? What do I have to do? Who do I have to talk to? What do I have to read? What do I have to learn and develop? Um, and so one of those for me was, was real estate stuff. And we okay. talked a little bit about real estate stuff. Yeah. Um, so the first time I bought my condo, um, which I was 25, 26 years old, mm-hmm. um, bought my first condo and, um, no clue what I was doing. And <laughs> I remember the first two or three, um, banks that I had talked to, I had a friend who worked at Chase and did mortgages yeah. and he, he was like, yeah, no, you didn't get approved for a mortgage. And I was like, 
I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> and, and he was just like, yeah, he goes, that means we're not going to be able to get you that condo. I was like, okay. I was, and like, it just, I didn't even think anything of it. And he didn't give me any other follow-up. I didn't know anything about like, what anything was. Right. And ended up getting um, a mortgage through another friend. Had to get, a, my parents had to co-sign on it, like all these other things. And I just remember sitting in the room with my parents when they co-signed on this and just wondering, like, I don't get why you guys have to be involved. Like, I'm going to pay every monthly payment myself. I'm going to do all this. And so I just like, I had this just zero level of knowledge to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it was so foreign to me and so new. And when you start paying that and you start getting the bank statements, you start going through that stuff. I just remember thinking like, I don't feel comfortable giving a bank so much money mm -hmm. and having so much of this ownership over these things, mm -hmm. having my parents on the hook potentially for my condo. If I can't pay, mm -hmm. I don't feel comfortable like not knowing what any of this means. Okay. Right. And so that was a big, um, you know, start to, I had done a lot of personal financial stuff when I was in the army. I'd helped a lot of soldiers out mm -hmm. getting out of debt and doing some of these things. And I had read some real estate stuff, but I'd never really gotten into the nitty gritty of some of the financing aspects and some of the different stuff. And so that for me sort of started that journey of learning about it and learning about, um, you know, different opportunities and, you know, investing in real estate and mm -hmm. some of those different things. And that's been a really long journey. And now you sit down and have signed multiple mortgages. You feel really comfortable with it, right? Yeah, you yeah, feel yeah. more and more comfortable with it. The more experience you get, the more people you talk to. And now, and then like every time you, you know, you do that, you can, for lack of a better you know, way to put it, I don't like this ideology, but you can sit at a bigger table, I guess you would say, right? You, okay. feel, you feel more, you feel more confident <clears throat> having conversations around, around more people right. on, on that aspect. And now I don't feel intimidated by it at all. Yeah. And so now I help other people and, um, you know, have conversations about all this stuff openly because I feel very comfortable and confident in talking right, about right, it. Right. Um, and I think those are, you know, that's like a, that's a good example where I had a situation or multiple situations where I felt zero confidence. I was like, I didn't, I, I felt scared. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you know, signing these contracts that have personal financial guarantees and like, you know, Hey, this is going to be, you're going to have to declare bankruptcy and all this stuff if you mm -hmm. pay. And so you sit in that room, you got no confidence at all, no clue what you're doing. And then now you can sit in the same room and I mean, I don't even Comfy. think twice about it. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's, you know, just, all right, cool. We're going to sign all these documents. And Maria's like, what are we signing? I'm like, yeah, it's just, no, it's just more crap. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's just the, oh, sorry. No. Like that. And, um, and so, yeah, so I think that's the, that's the thing is, um, you know, if I, if I lack confidence, I look at it first and say, is this an area where I feel like I want to have confidence? Is this an area where I feel like I need to have confidence? And if so, what are those, what does the next steps look like? What does 1% better tomorrow look like? Mm -hmm. Um, and then you just got to take it easy on yourself in terms of uh, you're not going to earn anything worth earning in a matter of days or hours. Mm -hmm. That stuff's going to take you know, decades, years, yeah. years and years. And so, um, so I think that's hard for people. A lot of times is, you know, for you to feel comfortable and confident in a gym, mm -hmm. you got to come four days a week, every single week for what, three, four years. And that's with coaching. That's with guidance. Now I went every single day. I went seven days a week for like five years. Okay. No coaching, no guidance, no training partners. And I still didn't have much confidence. Like you still are just, you know, you're searching the internet, you're learning things yeah, and you're yeah. going through stuff. And, um, 
you know, you feel more confident in the space, but you don't necessarily like if somebody was come up and be like, tell me how what you're doing right now is going to build muscle or tell me how this is going to increase your aerobic capacity. Be like, ah, I found it on the internet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. This guy who looked really jacked had a picture next to it and it said like five sets of five. So I just was like, right, do let's it. do that. Do um, and so, you know, I think that's the, that's the component of it that um, is really challenging for people is they don't understand the time commitment and you know the the goal of the growth is just kind of the growth itself right is once mm-hmm. you get into something for 10 or 12 or 15 years um you can release yourself of some of those um those stresses right right of the perceptions of you or you know confidence or whatever it is and just realize like you can just sit there and look at somebody and be like look i don't know everything I don't know everything about strength training. I don't know everything about um, programming. I don't know everything about athletes, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Because at any time, somebody new can walk in the door. They've got a list of problems that's completely unique to them. And they're going to be an emotional challenge that's going to challenge me as a coach that I've never dealt with before. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, all those years of coaching, I've still got somebody in front of me that I don't know how to help perfectly. Yeah. So I've got to read books on psychology. I've got to read books on, um, you know, we, I just read a bunch of stuff on eating disorders, right. And the psychology around eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And so you just, you dive into something like that because something new comes in and challenges you in a way that you don't feel confident in coaching. And you're like, I should feel confident in coaching this, you know, like this fits under our realm of health, wellness, nutrition. Yeah. So I should feel comfortable if a client comes in and says, this is my list of problems. I need help. I should be like, cool. Like I'm super confident to help you. But in that moment I was not, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I got to go now. So what's the process? You can sit there and be consumed by not being confident. Or you can say, what's the process to become confident in this? Well, I got to okay. read three, four books. I yeah, got to yeah, listen yeah, to a couple yeah. podcasts. Okay. I got to talk to a couple people who have gone through psychological training to mm-hmm. be able to teach this. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you start going going through that process. And um, and I, th- I think those are, those are the things you're going to be confronted with that stuff all the time. So that's sort of my process. Okay. So I, I so where you're at, there's there's there's, there's like a two way street. You you've gotten to a point where like there's a problem. Mm-hmm. You've been confronted with a problem. You're able to then find a solution to it, right? Right. A, a functioning and a progressional solution. Right. There's another part where Jeff might not be able to do that. <clears throat> and what I was hearing you mentioned letting so letting go is something that I heard when you were talking as far as regrets, Mm -hmm. right? Letting go of regrets or not knowing. Yeah. Or you have something, someone that has been put in front of you and you don't know how to help them. Yep. There's a thing that allows you to then admit to yourself, like, I don't know. Yep. But I can know. Right. Right. And I feel like as I'm getting to this point, this letting go of this guilt for first of all not knowing and then it comes in the imposter syndrome that you came yep. and I think that and guilt come together right and I think what stops people sometimes from that progression is holding on to this guilt of 
okay, but why am I in a position not able to help this person? Right. Am I an imposter? Or have I been faking it this whole time? Yeah. And then they and then they start spinning. And then to defend themselves, they might not progress because progressing and learning might be kind of admitting that you didn't know and no one wants to admit that they didn't know unless you've let go of yourself. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's another uh, obstacle that people might have as far as just progressing in general. Right. Is letting go of the extra baggage. Because as you progress as an individual, not everything and everyone can come. Right. That means emotions of guilt, regret, imposter syndrome, and then just kind of forgiving yourself for not being good enough at the time because you were doing the best with what you knew. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that might be an obstacle for people that I've noticed right. where they're like, but why? I'm like, doesn't matter at this point. Well, and I think there's an additional piece to it that it maybe even makes it harder for people mm-hmm. is what do you have to do? So if you're in my situation and you don't know how to go out and get it, And you don't feel comfortable admitting it. And Mm -hmm. so you do, you, you you know, you fake it (laughs) or you toss blame or whatever. (laughs) What's the right answer in that world? Mm -hmm. It's to say that's not my realm of expertise, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to search within my network Mm -hmm. who that is their area of expertise. Right. And I'm going to get you a couple of really good recommendations so that you can get the absolute best help possible. Yeah. Because I'm not the best person to help you. Mm -hmm. And as a professional in a field where somebody has come to you or been recommended to you or whatever it is to get help, like our egos have so much problem with that. Like it is such an issue to sit there and say, and so, you know, this has been an interesting thing for people because there was a time where, you know, I think people came to me to, to go to the CrossFit games, Mm -hmm. right? Because I had, I'd taken multiple athletes there and in teams and, and people wanted to come and train with me for that. And there's, there's an ego hit for that. Like, Hey, I heard, you're the guy like and um and and you like i know i'm good i'd stu- i mean i knew I, I, everything that there was possibly to know to get into that world yeah. at the time and and so you have a lot of confidence in that world and what's hard is when you start to walk away and you start to realize for me at least i had you know sort of this epiphany same thing that you know we're talking about is um the style of coaching for that did not align with what filled me up as a coach. So I enjoyed other components of coaching Mm -hmm. a lot more than getting into that, you know, upper 1%, um, where 90% of the conversations that you have to have with athletes is, is psychological by nature. And it's not necessarily psychological. That's always going to, um, carry over positively into everday life, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. And that so means- you're almost talking about intentionally <laughs> getting somebody to learn how to be okay with being out of balance, right? Does that right. make sense? So if you're going to be LeBron James, your life is not in balance, no. right? Your priority is being the best basketball player to ever live. Yeah. And everything else comes secondary to that. And if that's where your goals are, it's absolutely fine. And there are coaches that want to coach that. And there are, mm-hmm. you know, um, psychologists who want to, who want to work with athletes that are in that world. Yeah. Um, you know, but for me, I'm much more in the, 
I want, I, I get filled up helping people achieve the balance and find, you know, some of those things that are going to help them mentally, you know, utilize physical training to find happiness in alternative spaces. In their yeah, life. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, so at that time then what happened was we got a lot of people that kept coming. Hey, I heard you're the guy. I heard you this, I heard you that. And at first you're like, yeah, like, all right. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, I'll, yeah, we can do it. Let's do it. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. But then your heart's not in it. Right. And so mm-hmm. eventually then, you know, the most freeing day was, um, when I just started to tell people as soon as they said, Hey, I want to compete. Awesome. I'm going to give you, you know, Brandon's number down at Grandview. Like that's what they're focused on. That's their big goal right now is to drive people towards CrossFit games and have yeah. all this stuff. Um, you know, I, I totally wish you luck. Um, and you know, this is in the, and you refer out to somebody and somebody who's a competitor, another gym. And, um, and you know, what you have to realize is it's not, I'm saying that, um, that he's better or he's an opportunity or he's smarter or whatever it is. It's, you're just saying that that's going to be the best opportunity for you to get right to now. This. Yep. Exactly. For you to achieve that goal right now. And ultimately when somebody walks into our doors or somebody, when somebody sits down in front of me, that's really what, like, that's for me, what being a coach is or what being a good person is, is right. basically putting them in the best opportunity to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody sits down in front of friendship and, they're like, Hey, I've got a, you know, high school reunion in a month and I want to crash diet down 30 pounds. It's like, <laughs> okay. Like that's not really what we do here. Yeah. Right? Um, I can put you in touch with a couple, you know, bodybuilding nutrition coaches or whatever who are going to yeah. help you crash diet and be able to do that for you. They'll be more than happy to take your business. And that's what they're really good at. And, um, you know, wish you luck. And obviously what I would tell you is I want you to always be, 30 pounds down so that the next time that something comes up, the next reunion, the next no, yeah, wedding no rush, you got, you're just already ready for it all yeah. the time. Um, but I think that's the hard part for people, man is, is I try to get our coaches to say it all the time. When's the last time that you took somebody who was training with you and told them, go and train with this person, go and train with this other coach because what you want to get better at is what they love coaching, right? Is what, what they wake up every day, what they, the videos they watch and the podcasts that they listen to and the books that they read. It's, you know, it's why we separated out. We used to have our, our, you know, personal training coaches and our, and our fitness coaches, coach nutrition stuff. But it's like, but like Andy just, he's a nerd, man. He just loves nutrition. Stuff. <laughs> he, like, he will you get him going about phytonutrients and he'll just start freaking out on you and about gut health and all this stuff. Um, you know, and Kaylee's similar and Shelby and Emily are both similar too. And they just, they're passionate about coaching it. And so they're constantly becoming more well-rounded, more evolved, better coaches. Mm-hmm. And it's so much better to um, be able to say, listen, like I know enough to help you nutritionally, Yeah. but the best case scenario for you would be to go over and work with Andy and have a personal conversation with him because he's the best at that. Yeah. And he's better than me. Right. Like, and that's the thing that you have to say is, is he is better than me at this. X, Y, and Z. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a super hard component for, for people from a confidence perspective to be able to sit down and say, um, you know, is, is they have to come face to face with that denial, um, of that imposter syndrome with some of those things, mm-hmm. um, to be able to say like, I'm, I'm working on being better, but if you need help right now, this person's going to be a better bet for you. Um, 
So I, I think that that's for, especially from a coaching world, that's something that I think has been, uh, that you said I just, as men, uh, the men for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Men more so than women. <laughs> uh, but I think, but I think everybody has this, I think yeah. in any capacity it's, um, you know, it's true. I mean, think about like a relationship. You think about somebody where it's like, um, yeah, let's say you're in the middle of a you know bad, let's say verbally abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Things aren't going well. You know you're you're codependent upon each other, and you know things are going down this path, right? And you know maybe things aren't going right, and maybe there's maybe you guys are cheating on each other. Maybe something's not going right, mm-hmm. and maybe you find somebody who makes you really really happy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you get to that component where you you know it comes to breakup time. And I think there's like this component of like, can you pull back and actually say, well, if she makes you happier or well, if he makes you happier and like, I agree, like we are not super happy right now. Things, right. Th- things are not going well objectively. Mm-hmm. I think we both could be happier. And if you think you found somebody that makes you happier, then I'm happy for you. Good luck. Right. Like that takes a really high level of maturity. Right. But if you really care about somebody, you want them to be maximally happy. Like you want them to achieve, um, you know, everything that they can achieve. You want them to achieve their full potential. Mm -hmm. If that's it, that's what love is. And if that's what you feel towards people, if you truly love them, if you truly want them to reach their maximum potential, then you won't, you won't stand in their way for things like that. No, you'll give them their space. Same thing. Like for, you know, for me, it's like, if you look at the coaches, like there's this global communication with gym owners in the world that talk about how like, Oh yeah, my, my snake of an employee went and started their own gym. And I'm like, did you help them? Did you have conversations with them? Did he teach him? Like, that is awesome. Like I, I, it's such a weird mentality to me that these people think that that is something to complain about, that that's a negative. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, yeah. but it's because their ego is like, well, they were, they were my coach and they were my protege. Right. And it's like, but you're a shitty boss. Yeah. If you didn't want what's best for them. Yeah. And at any moment somebody can come up to you and, Omar can come up to me and tell me, hey, I'm moving to Egypt. You know, Jake can come up to me and be like, I'm moving to Phoenix. These are just ex-coaches. That <laughs> I, I remember Omar. Yeah. I mean, you talking about Omar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have that moment. And, you know, it's just, I'm happy for you, man. Like, I'm sad. Mm-hmm. As a friend, like, I love being with you. I love spending time with you. And so, like, you know, selfishly, I'm, I'm sad that we won't get to do that as much. Yeah. But I'm so happy that you're chasing your own happiness, that you're working and developing and growing. Um and ultimately like that's what I want for my friends. So, um, so I, you know, it's, I think, uh, I think there's from, from that component of dealing with some of those things, I think it's, it's challenging, uh, for people from like a growth and a confidence perspective to be able to outwardly be supportive of other people in that way. I think, I think, uh, um, what you might be alluding to, um, is that a pathos real quick? Is that a, is, is that real? I, th- I don't know. Maria's. I'm going to bring some real plants to the gym. Okay, so here's the thing. Right, so you, so Maria, now Maria can't listen to this. All right. So, all right. So, my wife loves real plants. Yeah. She has a storied history of killing real plants. Um. So she like she doesn't research the sunlight component or how much water they need or forgets or whatever right so we've had 20 real plants in this house Mm -hmm. at any given time and 
there might be one real one left, right? And they all they all just die. And so now she's gotten into gardening. So I'll show you out back when we okay. leave here. She's gotten into gardening now, and she's really filled. She loves it, man. So she's super <laughs> filled up by it. Um, but I was very, very, very adamant at the gym that it was like we indoors at least indoors were all fake plants right there's there's no we're not going to have any real plants for a bunch of reasons bugs probably the biggest one right bugs yeah oh yeah yeah so bugs fruit flies all kinds of stuff will get crazy yeah where in the gym no oh yeah for sure my apartment is filled with plants there's not a single bug yeah right but you don't sit there with garage doors open all day long right yeah very house plants don't attract Depending Bugs. on which ones you will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll track bees. They'll track all kinds of stuff. They won't. Oh, yeah. Depending on what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Right. Depending on what you're talking about. Right. Um, <laughs> we got. But the other component of it is, is then it's just, it's one more thing for people to maintain. Right. So it's one you're more right, thing for right. people to come in, come in and water. They've, it's got to be set to the right position. So it's got to get sunlight. It's got to get whatever it's got to get. Yeah. Um, so fake plants are just easier inside. True. Um, so that's my me- methodology with it is, okay. you know, I'm always trying to think about like, let's walk, let's walk. If, if so, the mentality from a business perspective is if it doesn't get people fitter, we, we're not going to spend time with it. Right. Like it's like, I don't want you spending time on it. Okay. And so like, that's, the, that's the mentality is like, if it's, if it's not going to put us in a position to, to, you know, get us fitter, like let's not make sure that it's something that takes a recurring amount of time from us. Right. right I get you, um, I get you. so, so that's sort of the mentality with it. So anyway, we got off talk because you started looking up. At my uh, we'll, we'll get back. On there. <laughs> back on there. So before I got distracted by the plan, mm-hmm. yeah. I I think what causes that situation where people aren't able to let go is a scarcity mentality. This idea that people resources are scarce. Right. Um, It might've been true um, when there was less opportunity. Right. But as we're evolving for the majority of people that are listening to this, there's an abundance of opportunities, which starts mentally. Right. Again, so manifestation, we're talking about negative thoughts will probably breed scarcity. Right. But a positive situation. So let's talk, let's go back to the gym owners or the coach that doesn't want to let go of a client that he can't help. Right. Or a gym owner whose coach left. Those who do get upset about losing that are in the scarcity mindset of mine, 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 right? right? Which then causes a bad energy and actually inhibits from you, you from growing, right. right? Because when that person leaves, obviously there's going to be a door that opens. Obviously, maybe I'm too optimistic about that, but I do believe that's the case. Well, the thing I, <laughs> I so I read read something one of the business leadership books I, I, I was reading said. Um, there's almost never a case in history where mm-hmm. you where you've fired somebody and hired somebody who is worse than the person that you fired, right? Okay. And so inevitably, you're only you're always going to step up, right, in yeah. some capacity, or somebody you know somebody leaves. Now, when somebody leaves, like you look at like a Jay or Nomar, and they're leaving because they're moving. They've got mm-hmm. alternative life situations. Sometimes that stuff's always going to be hard to fill. Yeah. Um, but it's it gives us you know a an idea of who and what we're looking for. Right. Right. Is is you know why was Omar a great fit here? Mm-hmm. Culture, right? Like he was a guy who fit our culture. Mm-hmm. He was positive. He was inviting. Um, he loved people in the way that I mean love in terms of he truly wanted the best for, for people. everybody right. in the entire <laughs> community. Um, and it was crazy because like the thing for him that made him a beautiful person is you didn't even necessarily have to earn it from him. He just naturally wanted the best for you. Yeah. Um, that's pretty rare. But, um, but yeah, I think that's, I think you're spot on. I think the abundance mindset mentality is, is huge inside of the gym world is, you know, if, 
we as a community had every gym was aligned in getting people off the couch in helping people in you know having it so you think about it it's like if we had everybody in dublin or everybody in lewiston or everybody in columbus was actively a part of a gym like if you play through that scenario, so many things happen, right? Coaches now, it can become a legit profession where coaches can make, you know, good money yeah. and they can commit themselves to the profession, mm-hmm. right? They can commit themselves to the the reading, the learning, the growing, right? and they, they will in turn create a better, more fit, more mentally healthy individual, right? right? And if everybody's engaged with it, there's more opportunity for everybody involved. Mm-hmm the prices go down because everybody's involved with it, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's more gyms, there's more coaches, there's more opportunity. Yeah. And so prices go down and as a society, our healthcare costs go down. Like all these, you know, our, our mental health issues, our suicides, all these other things that Mm -hmm. are attached in here all get better. And you start to look at that and it's like, so the more gyms there are that are successful, like what makes me so sad right now is seeing really good gym owners, really good coaches leaving the industry because of COVID, because their gyms are shutting down. They can't, yeah. they can't, you know, like California and Arizona just shut gyms down again and mm-hmm. they're just not able to survive. And we like, we need the opposite, right? We need that abundance mindset. And so some of these, again, same gym owners are like, Oh man, like this is going to be great. We're going to score all their clients. Like it's going to, we're going to get, there's going to be so many people in the market who want to work work for a gym. And I'm like, you guys are idiots. Like Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't get that their minus is not your plus. This doesn't net out to a zero, right? This is not a zero sum game. It's a positive sum game. The more people that are actively engaged with being healthy and fit, the more people that will want to engage with being healthy and fit. Mm -hmm. It's like if you spend time with you or you spend time with me or you spend time with Maria or somebody, you spend time with people who are really healthy and really fit. And I mean that in like the mentally and physically fit. Balance. Right? When you spend time around people like that, you can't help to, but be like, man, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what do you got? Like, what's your, <laughs> what do you got going on, man? Cause like you are happy all the time. Yeah. You, you are super positive. You got a great mentality. Um, like you're just, you're engaging the fun to be around. Like what's mm-hmm. that? You know, mm-hmm. Like, And you just, do you just tell people sometimes it's like, well, I take care of my mind I take care of my body. I eat healthy, sleep well low stress like and they're like oh how do you how do you start that (laughs) you start yeah that's how you start is you just start and i think that's that um that mentality of you know that scarcity mindset um man i think it's a plague it's it is it's fear-based i think you're spot on 100 um you know that i did a podcast a long time ago about um zero sum games and positive sum games and negative sum games. Um, and, and how we, we need to, you know, spend all of our time in that mentality of, you know, positive sum games where the more people that you elevate and, um, the more supportive that you are of others yeah. and the more supportive you become as a person, mm-hmm. the more things will come to you. For right? sure. And there's that mentality of, um, you know, the, the more you give, the more you get kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, um, that's not default mode for people. It's something you got to train. It's yeah, like a working a skill. Right. So I'm hopeful though. Yeah. I think so. I got this idea from Kanye West. Okay. <laughs> I think that our civilization. His, his presidential campaign ended yeah. real quick. <laughs> real fast. <laughs> it was like a week. But I think that our civilization is pretty young. Mm-hmm. I think that we're evolving big time. Yeah. 
And I think that, uh, you know, parts of our brain is still in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Why are we still biased towards negative? Because it makes sense. Yeah. For us to still be alive today, there had to be a component of understanding and paying attention to negative things. Right. Now we don't have tigers or different tribes trying to kill us right. in situations like that. We live in a pretty safe environment for the most part, right. for most people. Right. <clears throat> but then still that negative bias is still there. Right. That book Power Versus Force said the more conversations that you and I are having mm-hmm. are more powerful and that he actually had a, ma- a, a numerical number attached to it. More powerful than the negative conversation that the people across the street might be having. Yeah. And that our consciousness is able to then influence whether we get into communicate whether we communicate with them directly or not there's still a communication there yeah. because there's this oneness about us mm-hmm. so the more and more conversations like this happen yeah. and the more we have this mentality and go talk to other people like this and it, it's a it's a rippling effect yeah. that over time as we continue to evolve granted that we don't get hit by a meteorite or we don't get wiped out yeah I feel like yeah as long as evolution is allowed to take did. well and this is what I've been telling people is like it's it's um, it's it, so I'm a history major that's mm-hmm. what like my major was in college and a huge history buff I like it's the only <laughs> subject I like my whole life right? mm-hmm. and I always loved it and it's it's really crazy to think about because genetics do take a significant amount of time to change. So when yeah. you talk about stuff that's ingrained with you, but the 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 culture that we live in right now mm-hmm. is thirty years maybe old. You know, if you would really want to yeah, take yeah, it yeah, back, yeah. like you're you're talking maybe fifty, sixty years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe you put the advent of like television, maybe phone and radio. So, I mean, even if you're going really hard, you're going back like 120 years, right? Like you're not going back far. No, it's not far. Not enough time for genetics to actually come in and Mm -hmm. really start to make real tangible change. Not enough for even our environment to be able to teach us Mm -hmm. how to change. Right. And I think that's the stuff where like when you start to look at some of these, these, you know, systemic issues that we, we have as a culture, some of these negativity biases, some of these fears, um, is, that that stuff that had to be for thousands and thousands, thousands and thousands of years, of years. for a while, right? And, <laughs> and it was because yeah. it really was. If you weren't a king, like if you weren't in abundance, you were more likely to die really quick. Yeah, like you struggling. Were, yeah, you were you were you know <laughs> going to be yeah just in a in a boat where it was scarcity. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to eat. Yeah, and. And that, like you said, it makes sense. But now that we have this position where, you know, opportunity is something that is, you know, openly readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you have the ability to put yourself in front of a computer, which obviously there is a barrier to that, mm-hmm. but that barrier continues to get lower and better. No, right. No, yeah. And as soon as that happens, then all it is is just making sure that these types of conversations are the right types of conversations are being had are yep being had but also are easy to navigate to easier to navigate Mm, to than the negativity right yeah which is maybe right now which is hard right but in a in a you know it's one of the things that i enjoy about you know tim ferris or mm-hmm. or even joe rogan sometimes where they've got these big platforms sometimes why sometimes <laughs> sometimes he's not like i don't always want to say like i think joe rogan has some podcasts where they do they they get deep and they have good conversations yeah 
he has my favorite podcast of all time, which is Naval Ravikant um, on Joe Rogan. And, but there are also times where he has ones where you're like, eh, like this isn't, I don't know. This is negative. I don't know. I've been listening. I watched the one with the Twitter executives. Okay. About, yeah, yeah, yeah. about banning people with mm-hmm. Tim Pool. Um, I don't know. That one just, I just didn't feel like it was overly overly like it wasn't going anywhere it wasn't possible true, like true. they were talking about censorship and all that stuff that's very important <clears> to talk <throat> about right mm-hmm. it's a super important topic uh, but it just wasn't something where i'm like i this isn't helping anybody grow like true. in terms of in terms of if we really take it back outside of that like the best thing for each of the people involved with this would to, would be to work on their own independent development and yeah. if you had a room full of people who are independently developing themselves as humans this probably wouldn't even be an issue okay so a lot of the people who are making these decisions on twitter to ban people and to have censorship and some of these things they're people who are operating out of fear out of of scarcity right um they're they don't you know that mentality of you know everybody's entitled to their own viewpoint and the more viewpoints we have the more that we get to share and learn and the more we accept people for their viewpoints and all this stuff like if that was the stance that we had like you know things would probably hopefully be better mm-hmm. um and you know again to you know to think about how do you rid the world of hate you don't hide it you don't you know brush it under the rug no you don't you talk about it gotta like, bring you it gotta, to yeah right you got why are you so hateful what are you afraid of yeah what if that wasn't actually a thing to be afraid of yeah right like and you, you have those conversations and it's like you know I had some of these conversations when I was guys in the army. It's like you, a lot of when I went into the army and into the infantry and into special forces, they were driving a lot of intentional propaganda, hatred, whatever towards, uh, middle Easterners. Right. Yeah. And there's a component to that. Obviously that makes obvious psychological sense. If you're going to go yeah. into war against somebody, you, know you have to have some degree of up. yeah mentality. <laughs> for it, right? yeah, um, and there was just this component of, like what are, what if the fear what if that what if all that conversation that they're talking about like what if we just go into somebody's village and he's just protecting his house he's just protecting his town you're having yeah. some of these conversations and um you know you get into some of these mentalities where you're, you're looking at something and objectively saying um what if we weren't afraid of these of these people mm-hmm. like what if we weren't um you know what if we were more open and accepting and we had conversations mm-hmm. that were understanding right in some capacity and now i think that's the hard part for americans when you sit and say there's going to be a lot more terrorists 20 or 30 years from now from that area than there were before because yeah. We just spent 17 or 18 years killing their parents with drones. And so I don't know about you, but if China rolls up in here and they kill my mom and dad, I'm hot. I'm probably going to be pretty (laughs) mad towards China for the rest of my life. And as soon as like you put that into people's minds and they think about that for a second, they're like, okay, well that makes sense. And now you can start to take that person through this conversation, through this, this discussion of saying, if we to maybe if we had better actions, we wouldn't necessarily need to be so fearful. Mm-hmm. And um, and you can actually help change that person who's maybe been brainwashed, who's been diving down this path for so long. Yeah. And you can sit and say, um, you know, maybe maybe make a maybe make a dent in in some of that that hatred that they've got inside of them. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is like, you know, you're, you're probably not going to change, nope. you know, years and years and years. <clears throat> but if you get them thinking about it for a second, if you get them empathizing what about have you thought about their situation right um 
then I think you can start to at least have the conversation about making real change. But I think that's the problem is you get a lot of people um, now where it's like they're just they're trying to hide it trying to brush it under the rug and i think all it does then is it just goes underground and brews even worse it's even worse yep i think that goes back to that guilt situation right i think some people are guilty that they're angry yeah now when you're guilty that you're angry get what guilt does it makes you continue to carry it all it was was a mistake like you made a mistake that to be angry Yep. or uh, it it might not sorry it might not even be your fault right programming something that you might have learned from a culture that you're a part of parents community so forth and so forth and then it comes to the point that see what you've known for a long time and also that's hard to let go right right right. so then that, that that part of letting go like okay i was wrong and that's it's okay to be wrong right you feel me i feel like a lot of people are not okay to be wrong right I don't know if it's because of social media do we want to be yeah, perfect yeah say cancel culture makes that hard now man. That's, <laughs> that's the thing where it's like you make a mistake and it's like man people are going to remember that for 10 years right. but yeah you're right I mean that's the thing is is like you just that's the thing I said this to Maria the other day I go the fuck happened to second chances seriously like it's it's bizarre to me that you get in this world and you're just like we're not giving anybody no uh, even even a half chance sometimes they're not even getting the full like nobody's even hearing them out on their first mistake yeah let alone giving them a second chance it's because we don't give ourselves a second chance yeah i think it starts with ourselves man i think when we start to because think about it for me i i I find a little delusional to be mad at someone right all right because at at some point i had to realize that yo there's a reason why this person's acting this way you know i mean nobody i don't believe with the select few people that somebody wakes up in the morning and be like, I'm going to be a piece of shit person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> on purpose. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Yep. People, pe- things just happen. Right. You know, people got their trauma going on. So then when you got the situation when you're like, man, I was in a situation two years ago when I wasn't thinking the best, then there's that forgiveness for yourself, which makes it easy to be compassionate for other people and give those people a second chance. Right. And then I think it always just starts with yourself always. Right. right? Because a lot of people... Um, want to point out other people's mistakes right to kind of it's the ego's way to make yourself feel a little bit better right it's like why we like to give people advice right because it feels good yeah right. <laughs> like it right. feels good to give well it's that yeah, and it goes back to probably that same genetic code where it's like there's a status symbol to being the yeah. to being the you know old wise right. you know, individual whatever it is yeah you're right i mean i think the the um you know it's one of the saddest not saddest i guess but one of the things i struggle most with the gym um is is just hearing and listening how hard on themselves some people are and and like sometimes you just wish you had a little more time with people just be like like let's we gotta dive into that why do you you talk that way to yourself why do you why do you why do you allow yourselves to get there like what is what do you what do you so maybe not angry or guilty about like why don't you why can't you just you're you're here now right like you're doing the the thing Mm -hmm. that's gonna get you better at the thing like it's you're you're in the process of it right now you're literally in this moment right now you're literally doing the only thing Mm -hmm. that you can be doing with your time to not feel that same degree of guilt anymore yeah so you're doing it right mm-hmm. now. There's mm-hmm. literally nowhere else for you to be mentally. Right. And um, 
And I think, you know, that's, I, I get better every year as a coach. The more people I'm around, the more, more opportunities you get to, to coach that I get mm-hmm. better at and quicker at helping people reframe and helping them get into those, those, um, better situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I don't, um, I don't, there's no shortage of it. I mean, I don't necessarily think, um, there's, there's as many people, one of the, the, um, real things that made me excited was I coached eighth grade basketball here at orange, orange mill school. Okay. And, um, we had a couple kids on there who they themselves and their parents had, um, engaged in some seminars, read some books that were talking about, uh, just things like growth mindset and some of those like basic building blocks. And yeah. then I talked to some of the teachers and they're, they're starting to look at, uh, Chris just told me today they're going to be prescribing, um, atomic habits and uh, obstacle is the way I think, um, See. into schools and, and man, like, and I think if you throw ego as the enemy and I think you throw some of those other things in there, I think now you really can start to, all right, like now we're, if you get 30, 40,000 students through on school district and they're, they're the ones they're going to be doing that. Um, okay. Like now we're going to be able to have a conversation on a different yeah. level in a few yeah. years and, mm-hmm. and they might not be ready to receive it at that age, you know, all but the it's way resonate one day. Right. But it sticks like it's a there. little bit of that is at least now we have some of the same vocabulary. If I use certain terms, right. you're going to understand what it means. Um, and I think that's the thing that's been hard when you start to look at like, um, you know, like my parents' generation, you start to have some of these terms. We're not on the same page because we're not mm. talking the same way. Like it's not a, um, you know, it's a, it's gotta be a learned skill. And one of the things I love most, um, you know, about my mom specifically who will be listening to this podcast, um, <laughs> is she's very, very growth mindset or, oriented, yeah. you know, still, still, um, you know, in, in her, let's say young fifties let's, let's get her up. and, um, you know, so, uh, so she's just, she's not afraid to learn and, and hear new, um, mindsets and hear different ways of thinking and learn a new vocabulary. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that that's, that's very, very unique, um, as, as you get older. So I think it's definitely gotta be something where we have to be focused on younger, right. and younger people. Um, but really start to work on, you know, help, hopefully the people listening to this podcast, it's just like working on getting this language into your kids' lives, yep. like working on getting these conversations where, um, you know, we sit down, we do this podcast a couple of hours. Like you should be, this is what you should be doing with your kids. Like, this is what education looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's, uh, like you said, I think I'm hopeful too, <laughs> But, you know, it's definitely one of those things where you, we've got obstacles to overcome. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's, um, a lot of distraction and distractions better than it's ever been. Yeah. Distraction used to be like a good fiction book, you know, and then it used to be a radio show and then it used to be a TV show and then it Mm -hmm. used to be this. And now it's like this, like, okay, now they are like attaching little nodes to kids' brains and putting them in front of these video games to see what's keeps them addicted the fastest right. and the most long and they know that stuff it's crazy there's a, there's a YouTube video um, talking about there's, there's all these studies they do with kids and electronics and stuff and um, watching behavior yeah. and it's, it's crazy to see um, so the study I just watched was they parent uh, so kid and parent walk into the room together mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. And the parent immediately goes to the electronic device, picks it up and goes to the corner and sits and basically ignores the kid. 
and the kid is left with all the other toys and there's a bunch of like the top tier kids toys and mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. good stuff like nerf guns and all this stuff and but the kid's in there and he's kind of in there playing by himself right and so they leave the room after mm-hmm. like 15 minutes and the kid kind of picks up some of the toys but kind of has this like side eye on the parent all the time and the parents just in this like hunched over just on playing on cell phone <laughs> right and so they leave mm-hmm and then the second group comes in. So different parent, different kid. Okay. And that parent comes in and he picks up the Nerf gun and he starts shooting the kid and they have a Nerf war yeah. and they're like shooting with each other and they're playing, they're like wrestling mm-hmm. and they're doing all the stuff and they play with all the toys over the 15 minutes yeah. and they're engaged with each other and they're laughing, they're smiling, they're joking mm-hmm. and they go and they never touch the electronic device and they walk out of the room, right? 15 minutes, same time frame. And then they bring the first parent back in and the the parent walks in and goes what do you want to do and the kid picks up the phone and walks to the corner and sits and just sits and starts playing with the phone damn no doesn't pay any attention to the adult the whole rest of the time yeah right and then same thing second group comes in the kid runs and grabs the biggest nerf gun and immediately like runs to the corner and starts shooting his dad and and you just watch it and like you almost like cringe yeah (laughs) Yeah, you're just watching you're just like fuck but that's what that's the reality that so many of these kids are walking in every day and you know and I'm blessed to think about if I have kids in the future that I'm having them with my 35 year old mindset. You know, mm-hmm. my, my 25 year old mindset was not right <laughs> 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 at all. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm happy to, you know, have looked into some of these studies and there's other ones that are similar to that. It's mm-hmm. the same, you know, the same, same mentality where, um, watching anger when they take, take toys away and the, the volume of the anger and how intense it is mm. for kids. Um, when, um, you take away something like a plastic toy or an instrument or something along those lines and parents ask, um, would you share that with me? And the kids just hand it right over absolutely mm-hmm. right no problem and you get these electronic devices where you earn levels and coins and all these things that they're playing yeah. and could would you share that with me no kids don't even acknowledge the parents yeah. existence they don't even look up they don't even say anything to them yeah. they just they're zoned dialed in you know like zeroed in and when you watch some of that stuff you're just like man like this is like intense so there's there's that's the stuff that you've you've got to sort of figure out how to have a balanced relationship with your kids so that you can have these conversations in right. and around those times um, but I think that's where, you know, when we build imbalanced relationships mm-hmm. um, with electronics or imbalanced relationships with each other yeah. um, as people, then, you know, it gets easy to not sit and not have these conversations and allow yourself to just go, you know, weeks with all you're consuming from if I were to be like, you know, hey, Ben, like, what have you been into lately? And you're like, oh, man, I saw this post on social media. And, like, this, and, <laughs> and you know, there's and that's where we're getting all of our input from. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not necessarily sitting down and, you know, having a fun conversation. Yeah. With with whoever, with significant other, with other people in our lives, moms, dads, whoever. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where we've got to sort of get to as a community. Mm hmm. All right. One last thing I want to talk about mm-hmm. training methodology. We talked about very early on. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm interested in right now. So I got two, two thought processes. Mm-hmm. One, I just want to think about like, if you had to, if you had to define sort of what your training ethos is, let's just say like, let's say you're, you know, brand new, 
you know, somebody from this podcast listen, they're like, Hey, I want to reach out to this Ben guy. Seems interesting. How would you, how would you say your training methodology or what would you say for your training methodology? So what for our population, for just people that I'm coaching in general? Yeah. I mean, you like youth athletes is, is like who you like working with most, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah. Right, okay, cool. okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. yeah. So let's say, let's say right <laughs> let's now, let's say, let's say you got a, let's say you got a, a 19 year old, um, female whose fall sport just got canceled at college. Okay. And she's going to stay home yep. and she wants to get involved with training. Okay. So for me, how I look at it is from an overused word of functional. So what I mean by functional is being good at what I love to call the seven primal movements from what I learned from Paul Check, right? Can you hinge? Can you bend? Can you lunge? Can you twist? Can you squat? Can you twist? I already said twist. Yep, twist. Yep. I think that was seven yep. or six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Efficiently. Yep. From there, we correct the body to function in those seven primal movements or six. Yep. And then from then, that's when we start to build onto your function relating to your sport. Yep. Okay. So that's, that's, so it's from that scratch. We, you know, we break it down because yep. everybody, including me, I'm not efficient at all of those. Yep. Okay. So then that's, that, that is where I start at. Now I started to disguise that into ways because somebody, if you walk in, I'm like, hey, we're going to do your seven prime movements. I'm going to lose your attention. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I found ways to kind of disguise that terminology into something that will keep their attention as well. Right. Because being technical like that, you're going to lose somebody's attention. Do you try to bring it back to sport or do you try to think about what it, do you need to learn about what they care about so that you can take it there? That depends yep. who I'm working with. So if it's an athlete, always sport. Yep. So for example, with basketball players, this is always common on why we're going to deadlift, yep. right? And why we're going to hinge our hips. I'm like, okay, jump for a rebound real quick. Right. Pretend like you are. What are your hips doing? Yep. And then, okay, let's do deadlift. Ah. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and then their desire to take that deadlift seriously increases. Right. right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. So now let's talk about somebody that's not an athlete. Um, I had this lady named Miss Lynn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she was told by her physical therapist not to ever lift up more than a jug of milk. Yeah, right. I've gotten that before, man. <laughs> you feel me? You want to talk about, dude, that stuff drives, <laughs> drives me absolutely crazy. And the one that gets you is pregnant women. Yeah. So they tell pregnant women, don't lift more don't than 10 pounds. Nothing. And it's like, they're going to have a baby that weighs 10 pounds in like <laughs> right? a few months that they're going to be carrying everywhere. What Seriously. the fuck are you talking about? Know, right? <laughs> talk to OBGs who know what they're talking about. They're just right. like, yeah, no, that's a terrible recommendation. Exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about that freedom. I'm like, okay, so for her, she's like, I have not done it. I have not worked in my garden forever. That's this, this, mm-hmm. this. And then she explained to him, okay, cool. So when you're working in your garden, when you do hip, hinge your hips to go down to pick up some weeds, to plant this, to pick yep. up this bag, that's the freedom we're trying to buy with this, right? Yep. So we break those movements down so that's what i'm obsessed with the yeah. movement is really what i'm obsessed with right and then after we have a good base of movement we start to build on the strength yep. so for me it's it's layered up that way right. and then we kind of um sprinkle in a lot of other things to make it a cohesive program like right. that but it's right. always can we move efficiently yeah right and then let's build strength as we're moving efficiently yep. and so if you're an athlete then we go into more of a phase potentiation situation where we're going to build the movement the strength and then your power and then your rate of power production situation. But if you're not an athlete... There's really no need to continue to go up those. Right. If you can move, are you strong? Are you confident? Right. There we go. Yep. So that's where that's where it goes. So it's it's it. I guess you can call it functional, which yeah. I feel like is an overused word. Right. But 
yeah, it's really movement based. I'm obsessed with movement. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think functional gets a weird rap because I think functional people, some people say functional is, you know, taking it immediately. Like it's a to B like it's apples to apples. Right. Um, but I look at functional as can your body move the way it's supposed to move? Yeah. Like our bodies are supposed to be able to do those primal movements. Our bodies are supposed to be able to do X and Y and Z. Mm -hmm. And you know, I always think like, again, like think back to just that raw animalistic nature. Like we were, we were animals, you know, and we have the capacity to still be animals. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where like, and you look at the other animals that we held our own against. (laughs) Like I think about this all the time. Right. And you think about this idea of we had, we, we had these, like, I mean, you think about, we held our own against like tigers, elephants and some of these things. Yeah. Bison. Like you ever seen a bison? They're ridiculous. And, and I watched one maul a car the other day. And I'm like, I'm like oh, God, it's terrifying. It's like the weights weighs as much as the car. Um, but you see that and it's like, so what are the skills we have? Well, mm-hmm. you know, agility is one of those things. It's like, we don't have the agility of maybe a cat, uh, which I know you want to talk about cats, cats but man. we don't have the agility of a cat. <laughs> But um, we are one of the most agile creatures, right? And so what does a cat, you know, what does a cat need? As Charlotte's sitting here sleeping all day, right? Smoked. A cat needs a lot of sleep. Cat can't, doesn't have endurance, right? Well, we have endurance. And it's like, we, there's some of these like little things and we really, um, you know, I love listening to stuff that's, that's talks about primal athlete. And I think I read a book a long time ago called Prim- The Primal Athlete. And, um, and a lot of that conversation is just like our, our well-roundedness, our skill set is what mm-hmm. makes us the primal killer it makes us the alpha um and you know it's it's consciousness it's brain power but it's also the movement aspect of it and it is those pieces but what's interesting is how you know our way of life has how we've created systems to make us not be able to achieve those right and be able to not move in those ways yeah and you know it's um I don't know. I think it's, it's an interesting era of like humanism right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we've, we've basically put all these humanism. systems in place where you can look at that and just be like, all right, we put a bunch of systems in place that, that have innately taken us out, out of, our of being system. human. Yeah. Right. So we're stuck indoors sitting, sitting all day, all day looking at an artificial screen when we, what we should be doing is like walking outside in sunlight with right. bare feet. Like, and there's like all these like little things where you're just like, we're almost, we've almost created something that's entirely the opposite of what a natural being wants. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, um, I I think that that's where my assumption is hundreds of years from now, they're going to look back and be like, what the hell were those people doing? Like they just sat inside on, desks and computers all day like running excel spreadsheets that's so, weird so what do you think we're going to be doing at that time i don't know man I'm, <laughs> so my assumption is that's like a futuristic world where um you know robots do most of the work in some capacity in terms of um you know labor thinking in terms of basic level thinking so take something like accounting or something along those lines like okay a, a computer can you can very easily see a future where a right. computer can do that right because um, it's mostly inputs and algorithms Mm-hmm. Um, and to sit there and think as somebody who, you know, Hey, my computer's doing my taxes for me this year. 
Okay. Like, of course it is. Right. Because yeah, that makes sense. Right. right. We're basically there now. We have to physically input certain and things, finish, yeah. but as things get more linked, eventually that'll just, it, my taxes are just done for me. Right. Okay. And so you think this entire profession will be gone. And so there'll be these people that were like, yeah, my grandpa's an accountant. What's an accountant grandpa. And it's like, well, there used to be these guys who sat around all year and people it would send this. them numbers on pieces of paper. Yeah. And what's a piece of paper? What's a piece of paper? There's going to be this world where it's like there used to be this entire profession that used to just sit all day and uh-huh. input all of this information. Right. And they're going to be like, why? Right. And, and you go backwards and you think about that same thing. Like <laughs> tell that to a caveman. You know what I mean? Like tell that to, tell that to a primal human, tell that to somebody who's in, um, you know, like, like ancient Rome, mm-hmm. you know, you're just like, like, yeah, well, there's these guys who sit around and calculate up how much they have to pay to the government every year for tax. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just like, like, I just feel like they just like, look at you just be like, the heck? Why? Why? I don't know. This is the way we do things. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I think there's, there's, and there's a bunch of professions that are in that world where I just think you're, you're going through things right now. And you know, the amount that we work and like the work day as it's been created in America. And I do think at least I hope COVID will help a little bit the thought process to the work day yeah. and the school day. And some of those things were like, what if work in school was just like eight to 12? And then the, you had the whole rest of the afternoon to spend with your family or spend with your kids or grow and develop your kids. And like mm-hmm. everybody had the time to work out and all this stuff. Like what if that was just the way we were? Um, and like I said, it's like you, you could, I, obviously I think you could create problems, but I also think that you would solve so many. A lot. Um, and so I just, you know, I think that's what I mean in terms of an interesting era of humanism um, where I think you're just going to be in this, like they, we're just going to look back on it and be like, man, we had we so done. much stuff wrong. Yeah. Um, um, and I think we already know we have stuff wrong, but just and people aren't necessarily motivated to go around fix and it. fix it. Right. We're like minions, bro. Yeah. Right. You're yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you I love those minions. Minions. Movies, I'm you? telling you. always bringing them up. Yeah, I still just, haven't seen them. <laughs> you think about it. Like you, you, so you haven't, you haven't watched. Minions. I'm familiar with it. Right. I mean, I think I've seen it on like an airplane for a few minutes. Yeah. If you yeah. watch a clip of it, it's just these smart little yeah. yellow things yep. doing things and destroying each other and destroying themselves. But it's innocent. It's yeah, like us. Right. Like we were, we were trying to make sitting comfortable. Right. And then 30 years later, like, damn, this is actually messing us up yeah. in the long run. Like, all right, let's stop sitting. Let's stand. Yep. Okay. We were looking at a screen. Okay. It's actually doing us bad. Right. But there was no bad intention. We yeah, were right. just trying to be comfortable yeah, and then right. it ended up being bad. So, yep. I, you know, going back to the training methodology, it's kind of like creating a blend between the convenience of our culture and then going back to our primitive ways right. so that we can kind of get in balance as far as hormonal wise yeah. brain chemistry right. body moving gain your freedom of movement right. again yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah. and, and that's <clears throat> so when you're saying getting rid of desk jobs and, and, and people these these um, input and that busy work and reducing work mm-hmm. hours and then freedom yep. I think that can come through with the understanding and I'm really hopeful about this yep. right people are saying that the world is becoming more competitive mm-hmm. I don't believe in competition I think your abundance mindset or right. right if your abundance I, mindset you or mean, there's no such thing yep, it's right. cooperation right I think what it, we're mistaken is competition is this standard has been set higher mm-hmm. right people are becoming more educated because of things like this like podcast right? right 30 years ago 
you and I would have to be on the radio, and right. then there's the powers that be that control who's yeah, gonna. Right. There's huge <laughs> nah, barriers, you know right? But the barriers are being taken away, right? And people have access to information. So somebody was to really think like, what if? Then you hit up Google, yep. and Jeff and Ben come up, yep. talking about this. Like, oh shit, yeah. There you go, right? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I, I'm hopeful about that. That we're going. That's where we're going. Yeah. As the standard is set higher, people are like, dude, I am sick and tired of being angry. There are people that are not angry. This is not normal. Yeah. Um, things like the news, mainstream television, that kind of kept people in those situations. Yeah. Are starting to get phased out, and people have the time to pick, right. skip commercials. Yeah. And things are going that way. Um, but yeah. Well, and you, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's. <laughs> I'm still blown away. I think my parents still have cable. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's weird. It's so weird. It's so weird man. When, you, when you talk to me, you're like, all right, like, like, oh, what? TV? Um, but that's the thing. Like you, you've got, you know, if you've got access to YouTube and you've got access to, to podcasts, yeah. you've got access to Google. Um, for the most part, you should have the information, you know, mm -hmm. that you need, um, and as well as, as well as the entertainment. And I think that those things are, like you said, I think as the barriers adjust, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, but I also, I also like the aspect of the fact that like they don't necessarily need to be monetized. Right. And like mm -hmm. you said before, like from a radio perspective, um, think about how consolidated all the messages were yeah. and like you said what got through and what was allowed and what mm -hmm. was not allowed and you know all that stuff and I think now that when you start to take that stuff away in YouTube I mean some of the trending channels are horrible like they're they're ridiculous but yeah a lot of the information on there is I mean shit like I, I changed my oil the other day you're just like how do I do that yeah, yeah. type it up and like yeah. I even typed in like 2011 Honda Ridgeline oil change and, and it's it, like you get the exact year guess what that does what? now you move instead of going to Valvoline and send yeah. your car right <laughs> now right. you're actually moving bend over going yeah. into your car and now you're active yeah and, perfect and learning and growing and you're growing and I think yeah. that, that's the stuff where it's like you know it's the um, there's there's implications I think for every little thing like that mm -hmm. you know, all the little like we did all this ourselves like you do you learn how to drywall you learn how to demolish you learn how to ship lap you learn how to paint you learn how to do this stuff yeah and um you know, it's in the nineties, like you probably would have had to hire somebody exactly. for that or had to know somebody for that. Um, mm -hmm. and you didn't have the access to that, to that information. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how people capitalize on that in the years to come. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think it's, uh, I enjoy talking with you cause I enjoy the fact that you are in that mode where you want to learn, you want to grow, you want to seek those things out mm -hmm. when, I'm sure that you have a lot of friends that are your age that are not doing those things. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it gets easy to engage with the, the other stuff, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's maybe that's, um, you know, that's the easy way out. I think maybe for some, for some people or maybe not the easy way out, but it's, um, it's the common distraction. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in uncommon actions breed uncommon results. So to go off on that. Yeah. That takes responsibility. Right. I, what I've, starting to realize is when people <clears throat> avoid distractions when you avoid distractions it forces you to take responsibility because now you have to think right and when you start thinking yeah. you have to then take responsibility of the stuff that you're thinking about right when you don't want to take responsibility you distract yourself right? right so to get in shape 
as simple as that, right? Not as simple. It is actually a hard thing because you have to step out your comfort zone right. to uh, go on that journey. And then you have to take responsibility of your sleep, your eating, the yep. people you're around. And it's, it, I think it's a, it's a balance of just responsibility, how much responsibility you're willing to take. Right. And that's, I think that's the thing that people might be afraid of right. is taking on. Um, because it comes with situations where you can succeed or fail. Right. And then that's where, um, yeah. Yep. Uh -huh. Simple, not easy. And that's, easy. that's, that's the thing is, um, you know, I, I had a consultation with a new person one time. It was maybe the most forward thing I ever said to somebody from a coaching perspective <laughs> inside of a consultation. <laughs> I basically, lack of a better way to put it, I asked her if she would be, if she would, <laughs> she'd ever think, I don't even think I worded it this way, but I asked her if she was willing to divorce her husband, basically. What? Because in the consultation, she told me, basically, my husband doesn't want me to be here. He doesn't mm. want me to start a gym because he likes to sit at home, order pizza, yeah. drink beer every night and do yeah. this stuff. And so I said something like that doesn't sound like a very healthy relationship uh, <laughs> and she's kind of like rear back and just like well so then you ask the question like well is it do you think it's possible for him to change like do you think that maybe if you get motivated and he sees how happy you are and you can have those conversations that mm -hmm. he would maybe be on board and she's like no I don't no, think so absolutely so not. I'm like maybe need to think about leaving him and she's just like she's just like well we're married and I'm like oh I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pull back on my statement. I don't know what to say. Um, so it put me in like a really weird position. Um, and obviously, you know, and then obviously she, she sent me a really nice text message afterwards. Um, she goes, look, I, you know, I heard everything you're saying. Um, you know, they obviously, you know, I think me and my husband have some work to do and, yeah. and I'm going to tackle that first. And so she had a really good mentality and mindset towards it. But those are the things is like, if you're, if you're surrounded in um, in your environment and relationships, and the reason I bring this up is you said the people you surround yourself with. Huge. And that's, that is the responsibility that I think is really hard for people sometimes is you are surrounded by people who are condoning mm -hmm. the behaviors behavior. that, that you're in and um, not condemning it and not telling you immediately like that's not good for you. That's not healthy. That's not mm -hmm. something that you're, that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I mean, shit, it's like Maria doesn't, if Maria and I don't work out for like two or three days, we get like chippy towards each yeah, other. Cool. It's like, you need, you need to work, like you need to work out. Like you need to go, you need to go and do this. And, um, but we know that that's, that's a part of what makes us both better people. Right. And so we call each other out hard and fast and yeah. we hold each other accountable to it because you can't condone it for a second. Nope. It's got to be, nope, like we don't do that here. We don't take weeks off. We don't take days off. Like we, mm -hmm. we are going to get out and do something healthy for ourselves physically every day. And so you have that agreement, you have that understanding, and then it's just holding each other accountable and being responsible to it. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, uh, to, to kind of maybe wrap up that thought <clears throat> on the people that you surround yourself with, I think some people are afraid to be alone. Yeah. Um, because when, when you're in a situation with a certain group, it's not like I'm just going to leave this group and then attach to this group immediately. There's right. got to be some individual growth in the middle yeah, that right. people are afraid of, which they end up going back um, to old situations, old habits, because it's comfortable and this acceptance. Yep. And the, um, but understand that it's okay to be alone for a little bit as you transition. Right. Because the thing is, once you've started to adapt a certain mindset, people just start to gravitate 
into your life right over time you're not going to be alone forever right you know what i mean right and i think people are scared of that transition right of being alone um well when you are alone you find your own happiness facts then the right people will find you exactly you'll attract the people who are going to be the good ones for you yeah um yeah i think yeah yeah, i mean i think it's but i've always told maria and i have this conversation a lot because the most important time in my life was this stint of time when i was in the army i had two or three years Mm -hmm. which is really dialed in buckled into one specific thing right and you don't have a lot of other you are you are alone i lived alone you're alone for the majority of your time every day and you're very very focused on one specific thing Mm -hmm. and i had to learn a lot about my when i started going to the gym that's when i started getting into rock climbing and brazilian jiu-jitsu i started to explore some of these other things because Mm -hmm. i was trying to figure out what my own values and ethos and what made me happy individually as a person and some of those things and that growth was pivotal and had i still been surrounded with the relationships that immediately preceded that yeah i would have never taken any of those opportunities that was not the type of people that that those people were and um you know the whole reason i joined the army was to to i think go through that journey i didn't maybe necessarily consciously make that decision at the time but i knew i needed to separate a little bit from the group that I was surrounding myself with. Yeah. And I knew um, that I wanted some sort of growth. I didn't know what it was. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, but I think, I think you're spot on with that mentality towards that. Um, and it's fun now that we're about an hour 40 into this uh, <laughs> and people don't know how old are you? Uh, 23. Yeah. I had to think about yeah. it for a second. So yeah, 23, you know, I tell people all the time, one of the funniest things So Omar's maybe 25 or 26 now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had people that knew Omar for years that got that got coached by him, that were around him and his mentality. And you tell people, like, you know, he's 25. And they're like, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. There's, there's no way that he's 25. Like, there's just no way. Um, and, you know, just uh, mature and disciplined beyond his years. Yeah. You're the same way. Um, and, you know, that's... Um, yeah, it's a gift. It's a blessing. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's something where, um, you know, it's cool because I think your potential, your ceiling mm-hmm. is, is really limitless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you okay. have that mentality. So, um, so I know you've got big aspirations. We'll talk about those some other time. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, but I think that that's, uh, you know, I'm excited, uh, super glad to have you inside of friendship facilities and around our people, around Thank our you. culture and coaches and stuff. So, uh, appreciate your time being on i hope you guys enjoyed this podcast if you guys want to reach out to ben come out to lewis center come out and hang out with him sometime absolutely yep maybe i'll work out with you we are we're always trying to get ben to work (laughs) so um cool awesome thanks man thank you man appreciate it